Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan, and there's Jerry, and um, we're about to try some physics. Oh, yeah, this is Stuff You Should Know. We're about to try some physics. <laughs> yeah, this did not break my brain like I thought it would. Yeah, I think it's a pretty surface level explanation, but yeah. like it gets the point across, and I don't see any reason for us to try to go any deeper. No. I think we would very quickly spin out of control like a, a up-down quark or something. Yeah, so uh, dark matter is invisible glue that holds everything together. The end. The end. <laughs> we just don't know what it is. No, we'll get into it, but uh, you might notice, dear listener, a new thing in your feed popping up next week. Next week, next Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. Wednesdays. We are debuting a new thing called Short Stuff. Which is just the cutest name. It is. It's Stuff You Should Know, Short Stuff, I guess is the full name? Probably. Or not. Who cares? Yeah. But it's just, it's a Stuff You Should Know episode. It's you, me, and Jerry. But over the years of um, of recording, like, we've got these lists of topics we want to do. So many lists. And this one, like, part of the list just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger because there are, like, topics out there that are really interesting, but they're just not big enough for a full episode. Even with tangent upon tangent. And we could have, like, we could have been like, well, we'll put, like, three of them together randomly. We thought about doing that once. Yeah. It just didn't feel right. So what we did was spin off, like, a new podcast called Short Stuff, which is just a smaller-sized episode of Stuff You Should Know, just because the topic wasn't quite big enough to warrant a full episode or a large size episode. We're doing a small size episode. Yeah. So look for like 10 to 15 minutes tops. I think we're in the wheelhouse of about 12 minutes. We seem to like magically hit 12 every time. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of fun. I think it's a, it's a great idea. I'm, I'm really happy with them. Yeah, same here. And I think the first four we recorded, we didn't know what we were going to call it yet. Right. And I don't believe we went to the trouble of going back and changing that. Are we going to, we might do that. Are we doing that, Jerry? She just shrugged. No, she said no. <laughs> she said that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it would be just like us to just sort of waddle our way into this thing. Sure, and which is exactly what we did. But hopefully you guys enjoy them. doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. Um, so don't complain. Actually do complain. <laughs> if they're way off base or they could be better, we want to hear about it. No, I think people will be like, oh, this is just like a little bite-sized Stuff You Should Know. That's exactly what it is. It's like a Snickers miniature, but of Stuff You Should Know. That's right. And you know our love of small things here. Especially Snickers. Or like tiny Tabasco bottles. This is the tiny Tabasco bottle version of our show. Those things are priceless. All right. So physics, dark matter, go. <laughs> Let's do this. All right. So this wasn't as hard as I thought. No. And it's actually pretty easy to get across. Yeah. Here's the thing. So astronomers have gotten to the point, it's starting in about 1920 on. Yeah. Astronomers and physicists and astrophysicists and even particle physicists got to the point where all of their combined knowledge was refined enough that they could look out into the universe and be like, we can figure out how much this weighs. Right. To put it more scientifically, we can figure out what the mass of the universe is. It's going to take us a really long time, but we are now at the point where our level of observation and our level of understanding of physics is, is such that we can do it. We're there now. Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, well, that weighs this, the end. Right. Like, knowing something's mass tells you a lot about it. 
the way it behaves. And the, the nature and future of the universe, as we'll see. Yeah, for sure. So it's not just weight. It's, it's more complicated than that and what weight can tell us. Right. The problem is, is you can't just, like, put a galaxy or star or something on the scale. They tried. They have to, yeah, broke the scale pretty quick. Uh, it actually vaporized it. But the, um, the, there are ways you can infer the mass of something. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that you can infer the mass of a star, from what I understand, is to measure its luminosity, how bright it is. Yeah. I've also heard that's a mixed bag because— It seems like it from they have, doing this. They have different, um, different sizes in their lifespan. Yeah. Um, I, I've just heard luminosity and mass is not, is not just straightforward. Sure. Like like most things in astrophysics are. Yeah, that's the word on the street. Right. So um, when they started getting to the point where they could infer the weight of a star or of a galaxy or of a galaxy cluster, which is basically like a galaxy of galaxies, yeah, they started to notice something really weird. All of the matter that they could see, mm-hmm. the stars, the gas clouds, the cosmic dust, the everything, the matter, things that make up you and me, yeah. things that... Everything has a, a common basic unit, an atom, that is made up of elementary particles like protons and neutrons and yeah. electrons. Matter. Every non-living and living thing on in the galaxy. You would think is made of matter. The problem is, is they started finding that, you know, this galaxy over here and this galaxy cluster. And everywhere we're looking, the, the amount of matter that we're seeing is way too small for the amount of mass that the thing we're looking at appears to have. And a cosmological mystery was launched. What the heck is going on was the question of the day. Yeah, so all that matter that we know about, they call that baryonic matter. Uh, and they were like, this. The, the calculations are off or something. Like, there's got to be something else there mm-hmm. to account for this. Well, that's the two, the two possibilities. Well, sure. Uh, and so way back in... Uh, Geez, was it 1932, an astronomer, a Dutch astronomer named Jan Hendrik Oort, because mm. he's Dutch. Sure. <laughs> he uh, actually, I believe, was the first person to use the term dark matter. Is that right? That's what I saw. So dark matter is a is a sort of a placeholder name mm-hmm. for what they came up with for this, for lack of a better word, this invisible uh, matter that has to be out there mm-hmm. is it's sort of like wind. Like you can't see wind, but that doesn't mean it's not out there because you can measure it in different ways, see how it reacts on other things. Right. And so they, they called, started calling it dark matter. Right. This invisible, well, we'll talk about what it ends up sort of looking like in a minute. I don't mm-hmm. want to give that away yet. Right. But this invisible matter. That they think is there. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't emit or absorb light uh, or electromagnetic magnetic energy. So it's it's way different. It behaves differently such that people were very confused as, as to what the heck was going on. And they still are. The, yeah, sure. So there's so this term dark matter, like you said, it's a placeholder. And it's a placeholder for the current point we are in our understanding of the universe, which is when we look out at, at galaxy clusters and galaxies and all this stuff, there's not enough matter to account for the amount of mass that we're seeing. So again, that means one of two things. <clears throat> Either there's something there that we can't detect or our our understanding of physics is off. 
And the term dark matter stands for both of those. It could be a thing, an undiscovered particle or something like that. Or it could be a misunderstanding of physics that we need to eventually correct. Either way, there's a lot of mass that is unaccounted for throughout the universe. And it seems like there's a lot more what we call dark matter than there's regular matter. And the more we look into it, the more it seems like there's something there that we haven't discovered yet. Yeah, so right now, baryonic matter, all the stuff that we know about um, counts for about 4.5%, of where they peg dark matter. Then we have something that I don't even know if I ever want to cover called dark energy, which makes up the other 72%. Mm -hmm. But they know it's there because there's something out there that we can't account for that has a significant gravitational force. Right. That's where the whole the whole thing started, where they first detected it. Right. So um, when they first started looking out at galaxies and stuff like that, there's this whole thing that Newton came up with, the second law of motion. Yeah. Where, and this is like a tried and true law. It's a law. This isn't Newton's suggestion of motion. Right. Or Newton's second, what about this of motion? It's a, a scientific law. That's how, yeah. that's as... as proven and accepted as a scientific observation can be is to be made a law. And it said that when you're looking at a galaxy far, far away, and the, the most of the matter is accumulated toward the center of the galaxy, then that means most of the mass is accumulated toward the center. Okay? Yes. Okay. So that means that the stars near the center are going to spin, they're going to rotate around the, the galaxy a lot faster than the ones on the fringes because the ones on the fringes are going to go a lot more slowly because they're further away from that center of mass. So the gravitational pull is going to be weaker. Yeah. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it is in the center, you have more mass, more mass means things are spinning faster. There's more gravitational pull. Right. So all the astronomers supposed, like you said, the stuff on the outskirts are probably hanging out there spinning a lot slower. Right. Well, when they looked, they found that's not the case at all. As a matter of fact, the stars on the outside are spinning around the center of the galaxy just as fast as the stars near the center of the galaxy, which makes zero sense. Yeah, it's almost as if there's some invisible force out there. Right. Like if you look at this, if you look at this, um, this galaxy, the situation that they started to find, and it wasn't just one galaxy, they, they found it in this galaxy too, in this galaxy too. And even stranger than that, they found it in those clusters, those galactic clusters. So rather than stars that make up a galaxy, this is galaxies making up a, a huge giant mega galaxy. The same thing happened. The galaxies on the outer edge of the cluster were, were circling just as fast as the ones uh, toward the center. And it just must have knocked their socks off. I can't imagine how many times they went over the same formula right. to make sure that they had gotten it this right. This is for uh, clarity. This was the 1950s and 1960s is when they when discovered. When they first noticed this. Yeah. Okay. So what they figured out was that either there was something really wrong or there was something that they hadn't picked up yet because those stars on the outer edges of the galaxy or those galaxies on the outer edges of the cluster, for as fast as they were flying— they should have spun off into space. Yeah. There was something missing that explained what was holding that galaxy or that cluster together as fast as the the stars of the galaxies were spinning around on the outside. That was the first clue that something was way up with 
that 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 astronomy was missing something big. Right, and they knew this was off because they had been using luminosity, like you said, mm-hmm. to take measurements for years. Right, and it was pretty good. But then when they started uh, measuring the the rotational velocity of things, like how fast something was spinning right. in relation to where it was, like toward the center, it, it like you said, there was a, a missing ingredient there that didn't match whatever these luminosity readings were showing. So you're right. Luminosity was clue one. The um, angular rotation was, or acceleration of the outer stars was clue number two. So now we've got two two different ways of measuring the mass and gravity of remote bodies in the universe. And they don't align. Our point, well, they're, they're aligning in that there's something missing here. Right. Um, and I think that's a pretty good cliffhanger for a break, don't you? I think people are going to be like, what? Yeah, I, yeah, well, why don't you guys go listen to the first half of this podcast or first part again, and we'll see you after these messages. I really hope we're putting this, like, well. I feel like we are, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, you just can't tell. No, this isn't the sun redux. I hope not. No, no, no. This is much more simple. Okay. So, uh, like you said, they not only studied uh, regular galaxies, but they started to study uh, what what you refer to as, and you didn't make it up, but galactic clusters, these knots of galaxies, could be thousands of them, could be hundreds of them, mm-hmm. but they are bound together by gravity. And they were like, you know what? Let's study these because maybe what we can find, or you know, this is a what we suppose at least, is there might be, be these big giant pools of hot gas mm-hmm. that we never could detect before, and that would account for all of this mass. Right. And they did find these superheated gas clouds, and were like, great, that's it. But they're like, no, that no. still doesn't account for everything. That's like a, a small percentage of of the of what's what is needs to be accounted for right so it was a it was a breakthrough but it wasn't the the solution solver that they were looking for it was because so if you can find um you know something that we know has mass like huge clouds of gas that again you know a particle has mass and if you put enough particles together it has yeah. a lot of mass if you could fill in the blanks of the missing matter um, that explains the the mass of this thing you're looking at. Great, especially if it's something we already know about, like hot gas. And they did find some hot gas, but say that that explained five percent right. of the missing of the missing mass. It did yeah. explain everything. And what that did do also was okay. We've gotten that much more sophisticated, and it still hasn't answered this dark matter thing. It's pointing to the idea that there's something we haven't discovered yet. That is accounting for all of this. It's very foreboding. It, it is, but it's also, I think, very exciting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, for them uh, and us. Sure. So the other thing that happened when they started studying these galactic clusters was that they found out that these clusters and superclusters can, and this is really neat, you can look up images of this, it can distort space-time because their mass is so great. Mm-hmm. So if you're on planet Earth uh, and there is a light so you're looking from like a telescope on Earth. 
you're looking at a distant light, like who knows how far away. Like a, a star three billion light years away. Sounds great. In between you and that is a galactic cluster, let's say. Mm-hmm. That, will dis- that will act as a lens, and depending on where it's situated to where you are relative on Earth, mm-hmm. it will distort that light uh, into one of several things. If you're in perfect alignment in it, uh, it's going to form what's known as an Einstein ring. And if you look it up on the Internet, it's like this beautiful like circle of light. Yeah. It's really cool looking. Yep. Uh, it could be elliptical or oblong. They call it the Einstein cross. Basically splits it into four. That's, so that's it'll just look too. like four little stars all like perfectly aligned. Four copies of the same image. Yeah. Yeah, and like a cross. Yeah, a perfect cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it could be a cluster. And this one is sort of cool just because it's like kind of scattered. It looks like a bunch of like arcs and banana-shaped uh, arcs and arclets. But it's all different versions of the same image that right. you're seeing. And what you're seeing is that faraway star, but you're seeing it through that galaxy cluster. That is a distortion of space-time. Right. That the, the, the mass of these clusters are so big and so huge that the gravity in them bends light. Yeah. Just like a, a, a mound of glass can bend light. Yeah, like a magnifying glass. Same thing. Now, we've gotten to the point where we are so good at math and physics that we can look at that reflection, that bend, and say, this this galaxy has that much gravity. And since this galaxy um, has this much gravity, it must have this much mass. Yeah. Now, if you take that number, this much mass, Mm -hmm. and you examine the luminosity of the galaxy. There's that difference. Yeah, you're like, this is... Like, not off by, you know, like the luminosity is 10, but the mass is 10 and a half. Right. There's, like, factors, sometimes factors of, of like, of times 100. Right. Sometimes. Like, there's just no way that your math is off. It's, it's, there's a huge discrepancy. So, there's a third clue that there's something missing. Yeah, I mean, that's basically all these are, is, are little hints along the way <laughs> that we're still not able to account for something with our calculation. Yeah, and rather than the better and more sophisticated our observations and exploration of space and the universe becomes, right. it, it doesn't become, like this This blank is not getting filled in. It's just becoming clearer and clearer that that blank that is blank. really there. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's a, there's a void in either our understanding or our discovery. So then computers started getting better and better. And more advanced. I love how this uh, this article puts it. They turn to the computer. <laughs> it sounds like they turn to the bottle or something. Yeah, to compute. Uh, so computers started getting so good, and our knowledge of what was out there and our measurements of matter and mass was so great that we could take a pretty good guess on how much baryonic matter there was out there, maybe how much dark matter there might be, design a program and a model that you could feed this information into mm-hmm. – to spit out what it might, quote, look like, end quote. Yeah, they basically said, this is how much baryonic matter we think there is. This is how much dark matter we think there is. Like, map it out. Go. Go, computer. And they hit start on the Whopper machine, and it spit out uh, what was sort of like a... It it turns out that it wasn't on the edges. It was everywhere. It was like a, a web that wound through everything, invisible to us, that sort of acted like this cosmic glue. Yeah. And so in some places it clumped. In other places there were long filaments and it kind of looked like it had 
galaxies or galactic clusters trapped in a spider's web. So cool. But it just permeated everywhere. And like you said, it seemed to be like this cosmic glue or cosmic connective tissue. Um, and it was pretty surprising. So they said, okay, well, that's, that's the computer's take. Let's right. see if we can replicate that. And that kicked off um, a series of projects that are still going on today uh, to map dark matter in the universe, which yeah. I, I want everybody to stop for a second because this is about as nuts as it gets. They have gotten to the level of sophistication where astrophysicists are mapping in 3D models stuff that isn't there. Well, they're mapping 3D models yeah. of voids. Yes. Based on how how much light bends around a galaxy 3 billion miles light years away. Yeah. Not um, miles, light years. Right. And and then using that to infer the gravity and then the mass and then they're using that information to create a 3D map of something that may not exist. Yeah, and the coolest thing about all this to me is it's based on stuff that Isaac Newton and Einstein came up with. Right, yeah. And, well, well, we won't spoil it, but they weren't wrong. But that is nuts. This is either either physics has gone totally insane yeah, or this is the pinnacle of yeah. human ingenuity thus far. Uh, well, thus far, for sure. I'm glad you added that. So let's talk about a couple of these. Uh, about seven years ago in 2011, there were a couple of teams uh, using data from uh, Chandra's X-ray Observatory. Mm -hmm. And what they're trying to do here, like you said, is take these, create this real map based on direct observation instead of this speculative computer map. Right. What they found out is the computer map was pretty on, which yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, but they needed the real thing. So <clears throat> they are uh, looking at a cluster, or have been, called Abel 383, 2.3 billion light years from Earth. Mm -hmm. And what they saw was what looks like sort of a football, an American football, or an Aussie football for that matter. Oh, are they similar? I just got one in the mail. <laughs> I bought one. <laughs> you need to get Simon to sign it. Go Melbourne. I should. But it would cost so much to ship it there and back. Maybe I'll just see Simon again one day. Is Melbourne your team now? Yeah, that's who I, I got nice. on. That's that's a good city. Yeah, I like it. So uh, it looks like a football uh, with one end pointing toward us. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we're, we're on Earth, so we're the observer in this case. And uh, they here's the one thing they didn't agree on, though, was the density of the dark matter on Abel 383. In the center. Yeah, which is weird because some people calculated it was more dense in the center uh, and matter increased, and other people said it was the opposite. Not like, well, we're not sure, but they thought it was uh, less dark matter at the center, which is a big deal. But they, yes, but they both came up with virtually the same shape and same orientation. Yeah. Separately and independently, which showed we're on to something, or else, again, we're all collectively out of our minds. Right. Based on some shared delusion that we're all working under. Right. Then there was another one. This one is super cool. Uh, in January 2012, uh, anytime I see international team of researchers, <laughs> I get excited. Yeah. Uh, but the Canada-France-Hawaii telescope uh, has a 340 meg megapixel camera. Mm -hmm. So you can actually take pictures of stuff that far away. It's like the iPhone XS <laughs> camera. Is that one of the new ones? Yeah. yeah okay. Is it good? I think it's a pretty good camera. All right. It's not 340 megapixel. 
No, it's not. But I have to say, I've been to this observatory before. Oh, really? It's really cool. Did you look at, like, uh, yeah. did they have photos on display and stuff? Uh, no, no. They had, like, telescopes that you walked around right. and looked out into the universe on. It's amazing. Did they let you take pictures? Uh, yeah, I guess so, with your phone. Oh. I thought you meant, I mean, with the 340 megapixel no, camera. No. I'm probably, I'm sure they were taking pictures. They didn't give them to us or anything. But what's crazy is it's on Hawaii, so it's just hot and muggy and yeah. humid. And then you drive up this mountain, and you're, like, freezing in a North oh, Face wow. coat with, like, a hat on. Yeah. It, but, and then you just go back down the mountain, and it's Hawaii again. It's That's a very, great. very cool experience. So uh, what they did here was basically stitched all these photos together. It was, uh, like, photos of 10 million galaxies in four different regions over five years. Mm-hmm. Stitched it all together, and what they finished up with was basically saying that computer model was pretty on target. Yeah. Because what this looks like is what it spit out yep. so many years ago. Yeah. So it, they're, they're, they're definitely on to something, it seems like. Should we take another break? Yes. All right. We'll talk about what dark matter is. Hint, we don't know. All right, Chuck, we're back. This is where I start to get a little, like, brain-breaky. I understood all that stuff, but this stuff is where I was like, what? Well, we're transferring from astrophysics to particle physics. Maybe that's my hang-up. And particle physics is hard. I actually had to teach myself particle physics to um, write one episode of um, The End of the World. Maybe that's my problem. It's it's, (laughs) And even still, I'm like, wait, what? There's, it's really hard to understand. Yeah, I've always been an astrophysicist, though, at heart, I think. Uh-huh. So that's just goes against my nature. Okay, I'm with you. But they're, they're very much tied together. Like, you need particle physics to explain these larger cosmic structures. Right. So the big question here is, at the end of the day, uh, is it the fact that we just can't really observe this stuff and it's just like all the other matter? Or is it some new matter that we don't even know about yet. That's the question. That's the big question. Or, or the third option is that our physics, our understanding of physics is wrong. Right, which means, well, we'll see. Some people go back and tamper with things Newton said. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like that. Much to the dismay He's of... Like, uh, Newton, kill, <laughs> brain. So um, if, if it's just stuff that we already know exists, but we just can't observe yet, yeah. those fall under the umbrella of machos. Massive compact halo objects. Right. Which are huge, massive structures that we already know about. Neutron stars, black holes, brown dwarf stars that are huge and massive and have a tremendous amount of mass and thus exert a lot of gravity around them, um, but are too dim to show up clearly when we're looking at, say, a galaxy or galactic cluster. Yeah, like we talked about luminosity. They have low luminosity. Right. We know they're there, but they're not shining. But we don't know that that's them. That is one proposal for what dark matter is. They're just things that we already have identified no exist. We just can't see them in these particular things. Right. That actually doesn't have, for as, as Occam's razory as that is, yeah. that actually does not have 
as much support in the physics community as the other idea that that dark matter is made up of some particle that, that we, don't, we have yeah. not discovered yet. Yeah, so that's where I got a little confused with the WIMPs and the SIMPs. Okay. Uh, WIMPs stands for Weakly Interacting Massive Particles. Mm-hmm. Uh, huge amounts of mass, but difficult to detect because they just interact weakly with ordinary matter. Right. Here's why they're difficult to attack or to detect. The, they interact weakly with matter. That's not stating it very well. The, there's... The weak nuclear force yeah. is one of the four fundamental forces, and it's found almost exclusively in the nucleus of an atom. Uh-huh. What what these WIMP particles, weak interactive um, massive particles, are – they're hypothetical. We don't know that they exist. Right. Mathematically, they fit the bill of dark matter. Um, the fact that they interact with gravity and with the weak force only – means that, no, we can't detect them. We Uh don't have weak force detectors. We have detectors along the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. So everything we do when we look out in the universe, we use X-rays or microwaves or radio waves. All of those are electromagnetic. Right. If these particles don't interact with the electromagnetic force that has no effect on them whatsoever, we have no way of detecting them. Right, right, right. All we can do is is, since they have a gravitational pull because they have so much mass, we can just sense their gravity and be like, what the heck is going on? Right. Which is exactly the position we're in now. Okay. WIMPs were a big – they were promoted as as the particle, I think, starting in the 80s. It seems like an 80s thing. (laughs) <laughs> because there, yeah, it does, doesn't it? A little bit. Because there was uh, something called the Wimp miracle, and this breaks my brain. Yeah. But apparently, if you take the the relic density, which is really unimportant for getting into here, but say the density of a Wimp, yeah, like how how dense the universe would have to be for a Wimp to exist, it corresponds with the weak um, force number, and. That made everybody say, oh, well, they're particles that don't interact with the electromagnetic force. They just interact with the weak force. Nowadays, they've kind of moved to the strong nuclear force. Simps. Simps. And the strong nuclear force also is found just basically in the nucleus of an atom. It's right. the thing that holds an atom together super tightly. Yeah. Holds the quarks into the proton and hold the, holds the proton in the in – the, um, the, uh, what's, the, what's the neutral charge one? Neutron? Yeah, the neutron and the proton <laughs> together and yeah. keeps them together. That's the strong nuclear force. And they think that that, that is probably the particle now. So Interesting. same thing, though, doesn't interact with the electromagnetic right. spectrum. So we have no way of detecting it. Right. But it would still have mass and hence exert a lot of gravity. So that's sort of the takeaway. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, not everyone is on board with this, uh, mm-hmm. period. Like some people, there are some astronomers out there who say – they dare say, maybe Newton got it wrong. Yeah. And maybe we should crack open the Bible and rewrite it like Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good episode. in the 80s, there was a dude, a physicist named uh, Mordecai Milgrom. Great name. He suggested that Newton's second law of motion, which is force equals mass times acceleration. Mm-hmm. Which I got wrong in the board breaking episode. That's right. But we're not uh, physicists. No. We just play them on the air. Uh, he said, maybe we should look at that again. And maybe he was wrong, and maybe we should modify this. Uh, and he called this modification MOND, the Modified Newton, uh, Newtonian Dynamics. 
And uh, the way that I read this was it almost sounded like, it's probably not quite right, but it almost sounded like he had some answer, so he was sort of rewriting the question to fit. Yeah, it was ad hoc. Yeah. Is what he was called out on. That It wasn't like, oh, here is a, a new understanding of a physical law around the universe. Right. This just applied to those galaxies and their rotational momentum or rotational acceleration. Yeah. His whole position was that that breaks down at very small accelerations. Right. Like a planet on the outside or a star on the outside of a galaxy. But over a long distance. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of people were like, that's ad hoc. It doesn't hold any water. Anyone can do that. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then apparently there was a study in 2007 that showed that even down to accelerations as slow as 500 trillionths of a meter per second squared, yeah. which is really low acceleration, Newton's second law of motion still held fast. <laughs> that is so awesome. So Mond is pretty much out, out the window from what I understand. And Newton is giving the finger. From the grave. Mm -hmm. Like, see what you get? He very famously (laughs) liked to say, bite it. That's on his tombstone, I think. Uh, What else do we have here? Um, Alternative-wise. This guy, I love this dude's name. I looked it up. Dragan Hyudkovich. Oh, is he one of the guys at CERN? Yeah, I can do better than that. Dragan Hyudkovich. Hajdukovich. Sorry, Dragon. <laughs> but yeah, he said that there's such things as um, gravi- pol- gravitational polar opposites. Right. That the- particles and antiparticles have not only opposite electrical charges, but opposite gravitational charges. Yeah, so if those are near a galaxy, then mm-hmm. it would strengthen, sort of like a magnet almost. Yeah, it- they'd form pol- a dipole. Yeah, so it would strengthen the gravitational field, so that's what's accounting for. Right. Uh, in fact, I guess he's saying there is no dark matter, right? Yeah, he's saying that that's dark matter's dipoles, gravitational right. dipoles, which is interesting because that means if that's correct, then if you got your hands on an antiparticle, it would fall upward because it, ha- it would have an opposite gravitational f- f- energy. Yeah. That's pretty neat. That is pretty neat. I would love to have like a, a pencil made of antiparticles. <laughs> you just be like, watch this. Right. <laughs> just knock everyone's socks right off. So, uh, should we talk about that's, the... That's what I would do if I had a whole bunch of antiparticles. That's that's where my imagination ends. Should we talk about the Big Bang a little bit? Yeah, because this is the thing. Like, if you've been sitting here going like, come on, why does this matter at all? It actually does matter if we want to figure out how the universe can possibly end. Right, which is your specialty these days. Man, I'm so excited <laughs> about this coming out. Yeah, we're talking again, Josh's upcoming... Ten-part series. The End of the World. The End of the World. With Josh Clark. Yeah, it's um, slated to come out November 7th. Yeah. Man. And it's this and more. Times 10. Mm -hmm. Literally times 10. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What other stuff you talk about? AI? I know that's in there. AI, um, reckless experiments with viruses. Oh, jeez. The Fermi Paradox, the Great Filter, um, the whole thing's about existential risks. Man. It's a... You're getting smarter. I'm just talking about the old movies. It's a downer. Yeah, but you're like getting in there with people, you know? Like you're getting into the heart of people. It's just different. It's not better. Well, you got interviews and stuff, though, with like like leading experts, right? Yeah, but I I kind of use them as like a Greek chorus to kind of chime in and help like explain it or be like, yeah, Josh is actually right here. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Sure. Like it's not just me saying this, you know? Uh, All right. So look for that, everyone. But with the Big Bang, the idea is that the universe is expanding and the big question is, where, what's the end game there? Are we going to expand forever? Right. And what does that mean in relation to dark matter? 
So again, this is the point that we're at. We've actually figured out what the density of the universe has to be. There's something called a critical density, and it's 10 to the negative 29th grams per cubic centimeter, which this article says is equivalent to a few hydrogen atoms in a phone booth, that density of matter. Yeah. And if the uni- that is the critical density of, of matter in the universe. If it's more than that, equal to that, or less than that, there are three different possible outcomes for the universe depending on how dense the universe is with matter. Right. And a phone booth, everyone, is a thing, a box that used to hold public telephones mm-hmm. that you would step into to make a call. Yeah, what's a good movie you can go watch to see? There's one called Phone Booth. Oh, yeah. I said a good movie, though. Oh, right. Uh, Superman cha- yes. changes his clothes in a phone booth. There you go. Go watch the original Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeve um, Superman. Right. Or imagine if you were laying dead in a casket and someone sat you up mm-hmm. and you were on your cell phone. But you were only three hydrogen atoms. And your cell phone was connected to a machine by that, a cord. Right, exactly. Oh, <sighs> All right, so where were we? We were talking about the critical density of the universe. Right, so there are a few different uh, outcomes here that they've, they've come up with. Right. As far as where we're headed. Yeah, so if, if the universe has a density of matter, all the matter in the universe, if you could, uh, if you could just slice the universe up into phone booths yes. and equally spread out all of the matter in the universe across all those phone booths. Right. If... That equals just a few hydrogen atoms per phone booth. Mm -hmm. Again, that's the critical mass density. And if that is actually the same as the density of matter in the universe, then what we have is a universe that keeps expanding forever. Because the universe started inflating at some point after the Big Bang. Yes. And this was a huge discovery in and of itself. Sure. Right? Everybody thought the universe was just kind of there and, and unchanging. Yeah. No. The universe is actually expanding in size. It's inflating. And the matter in the universe is actually spreading away from it. So everybody's like, like you said, what's the end game about right. that? If it's if the universe if the universal mass is the same as the critical mass density, it's gonna just keep expanding forever. But eventually, it'll it'll get kind of cool, and everything's going to die and stop. I think it's called the the heat death of the universe. Yeah, and that's called the critical or flat universe. Uh, if the actual mass density is greater than the critical mass density, they call that the big crunch. Mm-hmm. That's not good. A closed universe. That means it'll expand and then eventually slow down, stop expanding, and then collapse on itself. Right, like you you know those uh, bungee uh, um, sw- swings. Yeah, my daughter was just on one of those. Okay, so they launch her up in the air, right? Yep. Well, they she 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 went that way, and then she came back this way. She did. So when you come back this way, when when she came back this way, it was because the universe is closed, and the gravity because of the mass was greater than the critical mass density, and so gravity overcame it and brought it back together in what was called the big crunch, which I'm assuming she did not undergo. I tried to explain that to her, and all she said was, again, again. (laughs) I don't blame her. Uh, And then finally, we have another outcome. If actual mass density is less than critical mass density, then we keep expanding, but there's no change in the rate of expansion. It doesn't We don't start expanding faster and faster. Right, and I think nothing really cools off. It just keeps going forever, which is kind of the all-good one, really. That's called the Wooderson universe. Right. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Uh, or 
specifically the coasting or open universe. I like that. A.K.A. Wooderson. So the only way to figure this out for sure is to live until the end of the universe. And we're talking billions, possibly trillions of years into the future. Right. Or we could just figure out how much matter there really is. The problem is, even if we can account for all the regular matter, every bit of things that makes up you, me, and everything we can see in the universe, we still have to account for dark matter. Hence the reason why people are mapping dark matter so we can figure out truly how much matters in the universe, and then we can predict how it's going to end. Yeah, it's not just uh, folly and like, hey, this would be neat. Right. I mean, part of it is. Yeah. There's a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk at the end of that calculation. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Uh, And I want to say you got anything else, but I'm not going to say that. I got nothing else. All right. Well, that's dark matter. Don't even get us started on dark energy. Please, please, God, don't get us started on dark energy. Uh, If you want to know more about dark matter, type that word into the search bar or those words in the search bar. And uh, since I said that, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this uh, something on game shows. Hey, guys, always um, wonder what it was like to have a moment where they say, I have to write into stuff you should know for listener mail. Well, I just had that moment. Yesterday, I listened to the uh, select podcast on game shows. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a select Mm -hmm. podcast. It was just a live show. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, they fooled me. Uh, I love all your episodes, but I found this one particularly fascinating. Flash forward to this evening, my fiance and I were sitting down to watch a movie. I'm not much of a movie person. Sorry, <laughs> Chuck. So I told Peter, I guess her fiance, to just pick something to watch. He puts on Quiz Show. Oh, I saw this email. Not realizing it was based on the real life event. So I started telling Peter about your podcast and how quiz shows like this one on the movie were rigged in the 50s and it almost killed game shows. I was like a sponge releasing all the information I had heard yesterday. Uh, the chance that he selects that movie the day after I listen to your podcast just blows my mind. It's pretty awesome. It's a Mandela effect, right? Syncretism. Uh, anyway, thank you for what you do for keeping me company as a drive around DC on the Beltway every day. Oh, you poor person. I know. When one of your episodes uh, queues up, I know my drive will go so much faster. Lots of love, Kristen. Thanks a lot, Kristen. That was a great email. We're glad we could help you out, make you look pretty good in front of Peter. Yeah, good luck uh, with the upcoming wedding. Yeah, which we assume is impending. Sure. Okay. Um, Well, if you want to let us know you're getting married, let us know. We'll say best wishes. Every once in a while, somebody will send an invitation in. It's always nice. We've not taken them up, but we usually sign it and send it back at least. Yeah, I mean, if someone was getting married here in the studio on a Tuesday at 1 Mm o'clock, we'd be there. And we'd also be like, uh, we, we need the studio. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so maybe make it 12 o'clock. Agreed. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can hang out with us on social media. Just go to, what's our website? StuffYouShouldKnow.com. That's yeah. right. Um, and you'll find all the links there. And um, you can also send us an email. Just wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.